Welcome to Planet Sleep. I'm your host, Josh. And in tonight's episode, I'm going to be whisking you off to one of the most beautiful yet diverse landscapes on planet Earth, Siberia. I hope you've got your warm jacket because you're going to need it. Luckily though, I already made the trek and have a campfire waiting for us when we arrive. But before we leave, I want you to take a minute to stop what you're doing. Find somewhere comfortable to sit or lie down. Close your eyes and just take a few deep breaths. It's important that you relax because we have a long journey ahead of us. Now that you're feeling more refreshed, we can begin our journey to Siberia. From snow-tipped mountains to freshwater lakes, from freezing tundra to arid grasslands. Each corner of Siberia offers its own sense of spirit. Sheep graze the distant mountainside. Coral reefs line the freshwater lake bed. A family of boar plod between coniferous trees. A tiger crawls about the far-off watershed. Within every corner of this massive region, A different slice of the planet awaits. Often synonymous with desolate, frozen wastelands and a vast purgatory of boundless winter, the extensive land of Siberia is often miscategorized despite its incredible diversity. Much of its land is considered inhospitable to us humans, yet the wildlife of the Siberian countryside has time and time again discovered ways of survival in the harshest conditions. However empty and sparse its regions might first appear, wildlife thrives with unmatched breath, beauty, and adaptation. Over 5 million square miles of incredible diversity gives home to the richest and most peculiar species on the planet. At an incomparable size, this North Asian region occupies the vast majority of Russia, yet only one-fifth of its citizens live there. Its borders begin at the Ural mountain range, containing rich metal ores and coal. These rugged mountains run north and south through western Russia and stand as the conventional border between Europe and Asia. The vast Siberian region begins here and spans eastward to the coastal drainage basins of the Arctic and Pacific Oceans, covering an enormous tract of land and sea. And between these borders of water and mountain, herein lies a vast scope of typography, geology, climate, and biology. An endless series of mountain ranges, lakes, rivers, grasslands, plateaus, and lowlands together make up this region. And along with them, an incredible range of species and habits each distant corner 
of the map. Deep within the northeast corner of Siberia, all but the winds bring far-reaching silence. The snow upon the ground absorbs small traces of sound. Under a gentle breeze, the adjacent tree branches gently sway against one another as the coldest weather prepares its leave. Clouds slowly break away, and the peaking sun casts a gentle warmth not felt in many months. As the cake layers of snow upon the leaves melt, the drops of cold water fall downward, leaving small pockmarks in the crust of snow. The earth below crunches with each step. Deep beneath the surface lies an enduring layer of permafrost, where sediment and frozen water make up the topmost layer of crust. Across this frozen plain, there rests a riparian grove, where land meets water and small blades of vegetation curl under the weight of melting ice. Within the ground, a small brown daub of something mysterious lies within the surface. Half trapped within the ice, the other half wriggles itself to life. At the tip above the thawing ice, two eyes blink at the end of a round, slimy head. It squirms. The Siberian salamander has resurrected from its long, frozen slumber. No more than four inches long, this tiny amphibian can survive in temperatures down to minus 58 degrees Fahrenheit and can spend several years frozen in the crust of Siberian permafrost. Once the surrounding ice melts away from its body, the salamander quickly traverses the nearby riparian grove. Through blades of frosted grass, she enters the cold waters of an adjacent pond, a pond exclusive to the summer season. Here she lays 50 to 80 eggs, hoping that at least a few of them make it, and the cycle of life begins again. As for how the creature can survive within the unthinkable layers of permafrost, the Siberian salamander produces certain chemicals in its bloodstream that creates a solution similar to antifreeze within the blood. Although they aren't the only ones with the ability to survive within ice, as certain frogs can survive with 65% of their body water in the form of ice. These salamanders have developed a resilience to the frozen depths unlike any other. Some have even been found up to 46 feet below the surface of permafrost, and most of their deaths are believed to be a result of lack of water rather than freezing to death. And because the summer seasons are no more than three or four months, their eventual thawing, time for nourishment, and reproduction are limited to the less frigid months before the freezing cold repossesses the land. In the meantime, as far as fleeting summer remains, the excess waters of a warming southern Siberia flow into its creeks and rivers. Frozen sheets of ice become ponds once again. The warmth relieves the weight of ice upon branch and thicket, where small critters awaken and they watch the snow melt downstream. Along this water cycle, much of the overflow journeys to the depths of Lake Baikal, a deep gash in the heart of Eurasia. Also the planet's largest freshwater lake by volume. A beautiful ancient scar where the overflow of summer flooding meets. With many myths surrounding this incredible lake, stories of its formation have been passed from generation to generation. 
one such myth passed on by the indigenous people of Borea tells of a violent earthquake tearing the earth in two. Fire and magma spewed from the chasm of the underworld. The surrounding forest became engulfed in flames. The native people desperately prayed to the gods to douse the raging fires, yet no one answered their call. The people screamed, Begal, meaning fire stop as one final plea. And as if by magic, the massive tear in the earth filled with this crystal clear water. The final cries of the people, Begal, gave this newly formed lake its name, Baikal. Another legend tells of a tragic story of a wealthy man named Baikal who raised a beautiful daughter named Dangara. Strict as he was, Baikal never allowed his daughter to date any men. Upon one lonely day, a small goal came to Angara's window and told her of a beautiful man full of happiness and warmth. A man of simple love. His name was Yanese, and he lived in a faraway village. So from every night onwards, she dreamed of this man and fell in love with every piece of the girl's description of him. From his kind heart to his indelible smile, traits immaterial, dreamlike, and ethereal, yet with each day, they become more and more real to her. Once Baikal caught wind of his daughter's fancied romance with an unknown stranger, he did what any overbearing father of the times would do to their poor daughter. He locked her up and prepared an arranged marriage for her. This of course strained the already turbulent relationship between her and her father. And so before the arranged marriage could occur, in an act of defiance, Angara fled her home. Baikal never saw his daughter again. And every day from then on, Baikal wept and wept all the way to his grave. Thus his unending tears created the massive freshwater lake of Baikal. And like the character of Angara, the daughter, the river of the same name remained the only river outflowing from the Baikal. Since this lake is the planet's oldest lake, created over an estimated 25 million years ago, many myths and legends surround its creation. As for a more scientific explanation of its genesis, ancient tectonic plates slowly stretched apart, creating a massive rift that filled with the runoff water of the surrounding land. Its depth is incomparable, plunging as deep as 5,387 feet, making it the deepest continental rift on the planet. Baikal is a lake so large, in fact, it contains more water than all of the American freshwater lakes combined. From its endless shore, easily mistaken for an ocean, it seems to have no beginning and no end. From its crystal waters, out in the crisp reservoir waves break among small emerging islands of rock. In the distance beyond the wild quack of a mallard and the rustling of trees, a faint train whistle blows into the air. A chugging of wheels rounds a hillside. A screech of brakes cuts through the forest. The Trans-Siberian Railway hugs the southwestern end of the lake. 
Over 5,000 miles of this railway make up this ambitious stretch of train track, and it connects the Russian capital of Moscow in the west to the city of Vladivostok in the far east, where it ends at the Pacific Ocean. Near Baikal, roughly halfway between its two ends, the animals flee at the sound. Less of a practical placement of tracks, these miles and miles of railway pass through scenic vistas offered by the one and only Lake Baikal. Built between 1896 and 1902, this scenic strip of railway which runs around the lake required 200 bridges and 33 tunnels to traverse the motley countryside of valleys, mountains, and rivers. And before the completion of the railway, large ice-breaking train ferries named the SS Baikal and the SS Angara transported rail cars directly across the massive lake. Their journey shattered the massive sheets of ice that had formed over the long, cold months. Each crack sent a trilling echo across the lake. Four hours across the chilly waters of Baikal, the journey took from one long stretch of shore to the other until the circumventing stretch of railway could finally be completed. Flowers and trees surround the rocky beaches where rich wildlife graze, free to roam as they please. Without much interruption besides the chugging train carts in the distance, not many people live around the region. Yet the ancestors of those who remain have lived here for over 3,000 years. Across the surrounding lands of Lake Baikal and the grassy valleys and hilltops of the countryside, a grouping of stones lie in the shape of ovals or horseshoes, some close, some far. A shape curious enough to catch the eye, clearly unnatural to the familiar stones and boulders of a tumbling mountainside or smooth riverbeds. These shapes act as burial places. This is where the ancestors of the Avenki lie. These early places of ritual are now preserved archaeological sites dating back to the Bronze Age, a time of material conflict and the rise of empires. These ancestors of the Avenkis came from the Central and South Asian regions and spread throughout Northern Asia, where some of them ended up finding their homes east of Baikal. They seized the lands by way of technological superiority, of newer weapons and tools. And once they settled into the area, many of them assimilated into the understood economic and cultural roles of the previous inhabitants. They became reindeer herders, cattle ranchers, and fishermen, all past demanding the rich wildlife of their surroundings. For these herders and ranchers, they needed protection. More importantly, their herds needed protection from prey, from disease, from the insufferable weather of Mother Siberia. Besides the usual resolutions of weaponry and clean food, the Avenkis sought protection through the spiritual world. Colorful shamans brought forth their rituals, casting veils of protection upon the animals of the land. Dressed in flowing captains, with a tambourine in one hand and a staff in the other, they connected with souls, spirits, and the mysterious cosmogony of the afterlife. They were determined to access this higher plane of existence for the survival of their people. They purified the hunters, welcomed the birth of a new deer and cattle and protected against the ever-present evils of the spiritual realm.
from their new religious undertakings. Rituals began among the Aventis. In light of a new world, the afterlife, the lower world as they called it, they performed farewell ceremonies for the dead as they passed on into the next realm. The furthest reaches of the Shaman River awaited them. And this is why those ancient stones had once been laid upon the ground, and still lie today, in ovals and horseshoes placed above the burial of those that had passed into the afterlife. They said goodbye to those that traveled down the spiritual river of death. As time went on, much of these rituals disappeared. During the 17th century, Russian and Chinese rule controlled most of the land where the Avengers remained. Most of their territories were taken over by the Russian government and handed over to the settlers by the 19th century. And from these new Russian settlers came the holy wave of their Christian god. The Russians saw the way of their shamans and their obsession with the spirit world and thought to change them. Hostile takeover by the Russian Orthodox Church made the goal of converting the shamanistic Avenki people the number one priority. And as they baptized the Aventis in the waters of their new faith, much of their religion and culture was lost. To add insult to injury, Stalin's reign reduced the Avenki control of Baikal even more. During the 1930s, the Avenki hunters and herdsmen were forced into agricultural collectives and further stripped of their land. Stalin's focus on the timber and mineral resources of Baikal took priority over everything else. And much like those before him, the rich wildlife and plentiful resources of the Baikal enticed the eyes of greedy industrialists. The aftermath of industry scourged the lands of Baikal, resulting in excessive environmental damage. Fortunately, the fortitude of Lake Baikal, all the boundless trees, deer, fish, and flowers survived the destruction of the industrial wave. Baikal today exists as a haven for an incredible amount of wildlife. And anywhere around and within the lake, from deep within its frigid waters to the sunbathing platforms of the shore, life can be found Around 2,500 different species of wildlife reside here at Lake Baikal, along with another thousand or more species of plant life. Against the waiting waters of the frigid shores lie rigid rock formations where groupings of plump freshwater seals battle each other for sunbathing space. They moan and snort as they claw at one another. Any amount of space will do, as they know the summer sun only lasts for so long. And if they don't catch some rays before winter, the fleeting warmth will never relieve the biting cold of the flippers. These endemic seals aptly named the Baikal seal, although the smallest of their kind grow to an average of four feet in length and weigh up to 155 pounds. So finding a spot among the tiny rigid outcroppings of Lake Baikal, while maneuvering their corpulent bodies alongside one another, proves problematic. Not to mention the incessant slapping and biting of temperamental neighbors. In Baikal, there's no resort concierge to rent a plot of lounge chairs and towels. These sunbathing spots are claimed on a first-come, first-served basis, unless a much larger bully evicts a smaller seal from their spot. For these seals, sunbathing real estate is paramount in the summer months, and those who fail to find a spot must wade in the frigid waters. In the 
mysterious waters of Lake Baikal. The seals find their food. Their muscular frame allows them to traverse the waters at excellent speed. Numerous species of small fish keep their bellies full, and they must consume as much as they can before the cold winter arrives. For the lake's surface will freeze over and food will become scarce. The Baikal oilfish, an endemic fish exclusive to the waters of Lake Baikal, is a primary staple in their diet. So much so that it is estimated that half of all annually produced oilfish within the lake are consumed by the Baikal seal. Their quick speeds and sharp teeth give them an excellent upper hand when it comes to hunting for fish. Yet this seal isn't the only animal around Lake Baikal wielding sharp teeth. In the surrounding regions, a small, nimble deer navigates through the rocky hills, migrating from mountainsides and across rivers. And rather than the typical antlers commonly grown by deer, these Siberian musk deer grow fangs. Unofficially called the vampire deer, these small mammals grow fangs several inches long, giving them an eerie look, especially at their most visible times of twilight and night. Yet, they are herbivores and only use their fangs, similar to animals, for battling with their peers in hopes of finding a mate. As for their favorite time of the day, often being late at night, similar to the seals of Lake Baikal, they are rarely seen. As any danger approaches, they count on their small, dexterous bodies to flee through small holes and rock formations. You would think that they would be a bit more confident with their horrifying fangs of nightmares jutting from their mouths, but these animals are scared of just about everything. Skittish as they are, their neighboring seals along the shores of the lake are not much different. Any sense of danger causes the seals to jump from their rocks and hide in the depths of Lake Baikal, where they know they are safe. And because they are rarely seen, many myths and legends surround their species. In old folklore, they are believed to be the souls of dead sailors, and they traverse to and from the sea by secret underground waterways. Although the myth of dead sailors can't be confirmed, the tale of secret waterways might not be far from the truth of their genesis. How they initially came to Lake Baikal is somewhat of a mystery, and yet a common hypothesis is that some millions of years ago, the seals were able to traverse various rivers and waterways until they reached the rift of the lake. Nearly 330 rivers flow into the lake, yet only one flows out, the lake's only known connection to the Arctic Ocean. This one river connects to the Yenisei River, where it makes its long and arduous journey through Siberia. From the southern depths of Lake Baikal, all the way to the northern coast, this freshwater finally meets the ocean. In the northern corner of Siberia, slightly west from where the Yenisei River drains into the Arctic Ocean, lies the Yamal Peninsula. Its tract of land spans far into the Kara Sea. This region extends roughly 435 miles, and much of it consists of massive stretches of permafrost. Here, in the snowy plains of Evergreens, in the cratered earth of water, the nomadic indigenous people, the Nanets, have roamed for centuries as they made a living by fishing the local waters and herding the migratory reindeer. Commonly called caribou in North America, these Siberian reindeer are the lifeblood for the indigenous people of the Yamal Peninsula. For their ample supply of food as well as their warm winter-ready furs, 
allowing the Nenet people to survive in the frigid conditions of northern Siberia. Their thick fur undercoats keep the reindeer warm throughout the cold. Siberian reindeer have 13,000 hairs per square inch and an additional layer of hollow guard hairs at 4,000 hairs per square inch. The Siberian reindeer is capable of surviving the Yamal Peninsula's harshest temperatures, and therefore so is the nomad who herds them and wears their fur. Their diet consists of various plants, such as lichens, willows and grasses, and even mushrooms, all of which can be found around Lake Baikal. Yet, for a region often covered in a blanket of snow, their menu options are difficult to see beneath the tundra. Their incredible sense of smell is no match though for the blanket of snow, and they can smell their food up to three feet below the surface. The Nanette word, Yamal, translates roughly to world's end. And in more ways than one, their ominous naming of the land, intentional or not, comes to fruition each day more. Not only does the Yamal Peninsula geographically stand at the farthest reaches of hospitable earth, but this world's end exists within the central Arctic zone, the largest oil and gas basin in Russia. Over the years, as human activity has increased within the peninsula, an industrialized transportation of oil continues to develop across Siberia. More and more animals such as the Siberian reindeer have become threatened. These migratory animals, alongside their nomadic herders, can travel over 620 miles in one year. So as roads, buildings, and railways expand within the region, the reindeer's migratory pathways diminish along with their livelihood, and therefore so does the nomad who herds them. On a quiet, migratory trail of world's end, a solitary nomad herder leads his reindeer down the side of a snowy embankment. Ahead, he treads across the soft valley with many hoofprints of another herd before him, and even more behind. He has been here before and will again in years' time. In the unseen distance beyond the evergreens, a deafening explosion breaks the silence of winter, and the reindeer scatter into a nearby thicket. From the way of the explosion, smoke billows above the treetops and the nomad takes a moment before he finds the heart to investigate. After his timid reindeer congregate and their nerves settle, the nomad trudges far through the permafrost countryside. As he approaches the smoke, large blocks of earth scatter across the tundra, some lying several hundred yards from the tower of smoke. As the nomad walks closer, he enters a barren field where in the distance he sees a charred and crusted hole punctured into the earth. Ever closer the crater before him becomes less and less of a hole in the earth and more an abyss, 25 feet wide and 65 feet deep into the permafrost. These craters have begun to fill the Yamal Peninsula over the last decade or so, the largest one being 66 feet wide and 171 feet deep. Spotted by a helicopter flying overhead, this new phenomenon within the permafrost threatens, quite literally, the Earth itself. Several theories have arisen as to why these craters are appearing, but despite their cause, it is well understood that these craters are a radical response to the ever-changing conditions of the Yamal Peninsula. A total of 17 craters have been discovered within the Yamal and Gaiden peninsulas. As more of these craters begin to explode into life, the better scientists come 
to understanding the strange phenomenon of the region. Some believe these craters are formed by cryovolcanoes, similar to the ones found on the distant planets of Pluto or Saturn's moon Titan. And rather than erupting with lava, cryovolcanoes burst with ice. Others consider them to be the aftermath of rapidly expanding pingos, or mounds of frozen earth that are pushed up by water quickly, freezing beneath the surface. Yet pingos often sink rather than explode. A common hypothesis among scientists is that these are formed by elevated levels of methane that explode beneath the surface, although how the methane gets there is not fully understood. Some believe the methane is a result of thawing permafrost beneath the surface due to the warming climate. Whatever the cause, these craters continue to show themselves along the Yamal Peninsula, and their existence sends a foreboding message, if nothing else. The permafrost of Siberia, despite its name, isn't as permanent as we might think. For places like Yamal, whose land is mostly permafrost, the world's end seems imminent, as the self-destruction of the earth threatens the indigenous nomads, as well as hundreds of thousands of reindeer that have lived there for centuries. Within the permafrost of the Arctic Circle, methane lies in wait. And if this land continues to explode, melt, and otherwise disappear, it runs the risk of contributing to a runaway greenhouse effect. Some argue that this occurrence is less of an if, but a when, as temperatures in Siberia continue to rise. The notion is easily written off as alarmist, yet time and time again, the reality of our planet changing for the worse is right in front of us. For a place so often considered freezing, hostile, and hospitable, a place where only the most adaptable creatures can survive the cold weather, the ground temperatures of Siberia, specifically within the Arctic Circle, have reached temperatures up to 118 degrees Fahrenheit as recently as June 20th, 2021, according to NASA. Near the small town of Verkoyans, a town known for its incredibly cold temperatures, these desert-like temperatures have invaded. This quiet little place of rest for about 1,300 people has the record for the highest and coldest temperatures ever recorded in the Arctic Circle. From 118 degrees all the way down to an equally unreasonable negative 90 degrees. And along with the worrisome change in surface temperatures, for the previous three years, wildfires have scourged the surrounding forests of Siberia. This land has become the very opposite of hell freezing over. Hell has come to meet the tundra. Like the mythical origins of Lake Baikal, the earth has begun to spew its fire. And the world's end lives up to its name. Not too far north of Lake Baikal, along the stony Tunguska River, rests another tract of land familiar with mystical explosions of merciless nature. As it turns out, the most sparsely populated regions of Siberia saw more violent action in the entire Cold War 
despite all of the fear-mongering of the nuclear holocaust. On the calm summer morning of June 30th, 1908, the shepherd rounds up his sheep along the grazing fields. The warm summer air pulls up the dew from each blade of grass, and all is gentle and quiet along the countryside. Until, of course, from just beyond the clouds, a massive fireball with the brightness and intensity of the sun falls from the sky. A streak of vapor follows its path. The fireball disappears beyond the tree line, and an instant and massive explosion shakes the earth, and an undulating cloud rises from the horizon. Windows shatter from miles away, and the resounding force sweeps the shepherd from his feet. Tree trunks splinter and shatter, with their branches thrown across the land. The eviscerated reindeer scatter the countryside in pieces. Although this destruction rivaled that of a nuclear missile, these weapons of war wouldn't be invented for several more decades. Estimated to be somewhere between 3 to 30 megatons, this massive explosion was delivered by the hands of the cosmos force of an asteroid. Its power leveled 830 square miles of Siberian terrain, and this devastation is known as the Tunguska event. With a force great enough to destroy New York City, Chicago, Illinois, and Austin, Texas combined, the Tunguska event was the largest impact event ever recorded in history. For such an astounding event, the United Nations declared that on the day of this asteroid's arrival to Earth, June 30th, the observation of Asteroid Day is celebrated. Many larger events than Tunguska have occurred in prehistoric times, yet this was the first of its kind to be witnessed by humans. Luckily, only an estimate of three human casualties were reported. Yet over 80 million trees were destroyed alongside countless wildlife. And among all of the carnage and destruction, the most curious aspect of this inconceivable impact was the fact that no crater was ever discovered. The trees flattened. The foliage burned to a crisp. The land stood scorched and desolate yet no concave dent to the earth appeared. No evidence of an actual impact was left behind. It was as if the air itself had exploded. Years after the event, several expeditions took place to investigate the impact zone, and scientists now believe that the asteroid never truly made contact with the Earth, but rather blew up in the air just above the surface, an event known as an airburst. This stony asteroid, the size of a 25-story building, fell into the Earth's atmosphere at a cosmic cruising speed of 33,500 miles per hour, a speed unrecognized by most earthly standards. And before the asteroid could meet the Earth, of which it would decimate within the blink of an eye, it fractured and exploded four to six miles above the surface. Although four to six miles might seem like a great distance to us tiny humans, within the relative expanse of the infinite stars, four to six miles is dangerously close. Upon its explosion, it pushed the atmosphere around it, expanding with violence and swept clear of the earth for 830 square miles. The gall of this eager asteroid, it didn't even have the decency to first buy the earth dinner. As for the consequences of the Tunguska event, its destruction lends a reminder to the randomness of nature. What we observe around us, the trees, the animals, the ground beneath us, can all be wiped out within the blink of an eye.
Due to Siberia's history, its incredible size, and its shrouds of mystery, the northern reaches of permafrost and the expanse of the Arctic Circle will continue to excite the stories and fables from which it grows. Separating myth from fact will be difficult, but ultimately necessary step in understanding the drastic effects of rising temperatures, expanding forests, cosmic intervention, and melting permafrost. Where once was considered to be the world's end, as in the edge of the earth, now represents its potential demise. Far from the turbulent world's end, thousands of miles across the continent in the Russian Far East, surrounded by temperate forests of a much different, much calmer Siberia than the one of exploding land and outrageous temperature changes. The Seacoat Allen mountain range stands quietly near the Sea of Japan. Its peaks scrape the gentle sky at 6,800 feet, and alongside the mountain range, a more temperate climate exists here compared to the reindeer herding lands of northern ice, yet many species familiar with the taiga and tundra of the north can happily coexist with the animals of the temperate forest. Not only can they coexist, but they might also have to, seeing as how the northern regions respond to climate change. Reindeer and brown bears are known to populate the far east region alongside the temperate forest animals such as the leopard or the Siberian tiger. Large paws crunch against the snow of a woody embankment along the mountainside. Six-inch wide paws with their equally massive claws carry the tiger along his route, weighing in at half a ton of striped fur, muscle, and fang. These giant Siberian tigers, the largest of their kind, will eventually leave the familiar routes of the snowy mountainside and enter the various terrain of the temperate forest. And although it might look like they wander aimlessly along the vast Siberian country until they find their sources of water and prey, the tiger is never lost. No matter how solitary they seem, a speck of orange against the endless backdrop of white or green. They are forever guided by the pathways of one-horned rhinos across the land. Within a curious relationship between the rhino, often a filling meal, and the predaceous flesh-eating tiger, the bulldozed pathways of the horned behemoths create logical connected highways that the tigers use through their journeys. Grasses, scrubs, forests, rivers, and swamps litter the countryside of their travels. A strong departure from the typically barren land of frozen Siberia. The varying habitats of this region have given life to much native wildlife exclusive to this corner of the earth. And more important for the tiger, these habitats have nourished the nearby water buffalo and have given an ample supply of aquatic plants as they wade in shallow rivers. The wildlife lends a healthy list of prospects on the tiger's expansive menu. And through this variety of land, the one-horned rhino has connected its pathways from one feeding ground to the next, allowing the tiger an easy journey to and from its hunting zone. Often difficult to see in the tall grass of the forest, unlike the obvious massive dot of orange coat against the snowy backdrop of the mountainside, these tigers are often extremely difficult to see in their hunting environments of the temperate forest, which is exactly their intention. All the tiger needs to see with her impeccable eyesight is the high rise of horns of his potential dinner peeking from the top of the tall grass and he can silently make his way through the vegetation to strike. Yet even this half-ton cat of massive claws, 
and powerful jaws struggles taking down the formidable bovids, weighing multiple times the size of the tiger. In times of desperation, when their hunger pains their stomachs, they will attack even the biggest of prey with almost no concern for their own safety, lunging and gnashing the thick-skinned bovids with their teeth, making them the most aggressive predators around. A hunting tiger can even pull their prey over six times their weight across the land and into a suitable feeding area. And since bovids often travel in groups, the tigers take their pick of the most suitable target, preferably one of the smaller, more harmless sized ones. For the tiger, he has claimed this land as his own, an apex predator of such power, even other predators don't bother with any remote level of competition. Even wolves, ubiquitous animals of the nearby regions of Siberia, are rarely seen in the same hunting grounds of the Siberian tiger, for they both hunt during the day and at night, yet are not truly nocturnal creatures. Their long and arduous dedication to the hunt is incomparable, especially in the dark. The stealth of night brings prime hunting opportunities, leaving many unsuspecting prey at a loss and their incredible night vision leads the way. While much of the other forest wildlife struggles to see, due to a structure behind the retina called the tapetum lucidum, light is reflected by this structure and sent back to the eye. Any light not first absorbed is now seen, which this gives the tiger its disquieting glowing eyes when light is shown upon them at night. As the competition with predators remains negligible to the tiger, they're not necessarily free to roam wherever they please. One of their most imposing opponents comes with a snort, bark, and a high trumpet call of a long-nosed brute. The highly intelligent elephants of the land wreak havoc for any Siberian caught nearby. Not only will they call out to each other in sheer panic at the sight of a suspicious movement, but they are also known to charge and terrorize any trace of an orange-coated cat within their vicinity until the tiger knows full well he is not welcome anywhere near the stomping grounds of elephants. They work together in herds and would do anything to protect their young, even if that means taking on one of the most vicious, solitary hunters of Siberia. Outside of their natural roadblocks in the Russian Far East, the Siberian tiger has faced continuous threat by human activity the last several decades. Due to poachers seeking out and killing the tigers for their beautiful fur and the aftermath of hunting for sport, these tigers quickly became an endangered species. The logging industry and human settlement have also affected their homeland, and together these antagonists of the Siberian tiger almost lead them to extinction. In 2005, only about 500 Siberian tigers remained, once thought to be widespread across many parts of Asia. The tiger became a precious species for hunting dating back to the Russian Empire in the 18th and 19th centuries. Almost completely wiped from the earth, the Russian government finally banned the poaching and trade of tiger parts in both foreign and domestic markets and even increase their prey of deer and boar within their habitats. Although they still survive in small numbers, their population has steadily increased over the years, a rare achievement for such a coveted animal. The Siberian tiger lives on in the Russian Far East, maneuvering his way through tall grass and following the infinite highways of rhinos through the forest, brook, and plain. Also in the Russian Far East, yet much farther north of the Siberian tiger's home, a small peninsula juts into the northern Pacific. Named after the indigenous people who reside here, the Chukchi Peninsula is the easternmost peninsula of Asia, and its furthest reach is a mere 37 miles 
from the Seaward Peninsula of Alaska. Perhaps this Chukchi land is the part of Russia the ninth governor of Alaska claimed she could see from her house. Traditionally, this peninsula has been inhabited by the native Chukchi people and Russian settlers. Like many of the indigenous people of Siberia, the Chukchi rely on hunting, fishing, and reindeer herding. They are divided into two main groups, the reindeer Chukchi and the maritime Chukchi. The reindeer Chukchi inhabit the interior of the peninsula and live a primarily nomadic lifestyle as they herd their reindeer through the land. They harvest their deer when fully grown and use their parts for food, clothing, and shelter. While the maritime Chukchi live on the eastern coast of the peninsula and spend their time fishing and hunting walrus, seals, and whales. The Chukchi people are also the closest Asiatic relatives of Native Americans, which supports the theory that the natives may have crossed the northern Pacific during an ice age when the ocean water between the continents froze over and created a natural bridge between the two lands. These are also the people who first bred the icy-eyed Siberian Husky. Their thick double coat of fur allows them to withstand the harsh Siberian cold, and their large frame makes them perfect for labor. They are initially used as sled dogs for traversing otherwise impassable terrain, and once Russian settlers came to mine the land for minerals and ores, they were used to transport goods and workers throughout the mining fields. And of course, seeing as their energetic and friendly disposition was perfect fit for humans, the Chukchi people kept them as house pets too. There's nothing more enjoyable than snuggling up next to a Siberian Husky on a cold winter night and falling asleep nestled next to them beside a smoldering fire. To this day, they're kept as house pets all over the world, and you can often see them panting in the summer sun of an incompatible temperature climate. Their shedding fur falling from their bodies in giant heaps of hairy tumbleweeds, their pointed ears listening to your call as they cock their heads to the side. And of course, besides the tennis balls and peanut butter, they are still used as members of competitive and recreational mushers. Each corner of Siberia offers an element of life a bit different than the last. Truly a land of beautiful, uninhabited silence and mystery, of resurrecting salamanders, tracks of seemingly infinite ice, massive freshwater habitats plunging deep into the Earth's crust, reindeer-herding nomads, self-exploding permafrost, and the largest apex tiger on the brink of extinction. Despite the antagonism of human activity, logging, poaching, and oil drilling, the Siberian wildlife survives in the midst of threat. As this edge of the world thaws and freezes and thaws again, change becomes consistent in the paradox of its own essence. Life has found a way to adapt in a solid block of ice in the wake of explosions through years of industrialism and has come back in greater numbers when we put contingencies of Mother Earth before the egocentric behavior of our own desires. The land of Siberian awakens the incredible diversity of our planet. Even those seasons of frozen desolation, when the barren fields of permafrost might appear, as you would imagine, the desolation of purgatory itself, as clouds break and the seasons change, never forget the small, slimy hand of life wriggling out from the melting snow. Well, that concludes our journey for tonight. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Planet Sleep 
And if you're still awake, I hope you will subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Spotify. Also, if you're looking for more relaxation, check out our other episodes. But until next time, sleep easy, my friends. <laughs>